Well, a very warm welcome to you all tonight to this pre-communion service. Good to see you so many of you, and obviously quite a number of you by the look of it have been enjoying, like myself, something of the good weather, which we're thankful to God for. Now, one or two things just to intimate before we begin the service. Um, at the close of the service, um, an invitation is given to anybody who wishes to come to take communion for the first time, if they would make their way down to the hall, please. Uh, the session will be meeting in the hall tonight rather than in uh, the session room as, uh, to my left here in the church building. So if you make your way to the hall, that would include any two who have uh, a certificate to hand in or have handed in a disjunction certificate from other congregations because, as you know, we like as a session to formally welcome uh, those who have brought certificates from other congregations uh, and that's just a formal welcome, there's no interview, but it's just to welcome them and uh, meet with them. Uh, so that we know exactly who they are. Now, that also includes uh, the session tonight. Anybody who wishes to come uh, for baptism for their children, the session will be pleased to meet with any uh, who want to have baptism for their children, and uh, we'll arrange that as well, if you would kindly also, after the service, make your way down to the hall. Now, we're following the same process as last time, same procedure as last communion, so that means we're not giving out tokens, as was the case in the past, just to avoid, again, too much contact. Uh, so at the end of the service, um, I won't go to the door. Um, we'll just uh, make our way through uh, to the hall. Those who want to go to the hall and the rest can just uh, uh, leave. So that's really only the, the only intimations I need to make, I think, uh, this evening. Let's uh, sing to God's praise now from Psalm 105. Psalm 105, that's in uh, the Sing Psalms version, and that's on page 138, 138, verses 1 to 11. Give thanks to the Lord God and call on his name. His wonderful deeds to the nations proclaim. Sing praises to him and his exploits record. Let all those who seek him rejoice in the Lord. You chosen ones, look to the Lord and his might. Seek ever his face and his wonders recite, his miracles too and his judgments divine, you children of Abraham, Jacob's own line. Through to the end of verse 11, these verses give thanks to the Lord God. I will stand to sing. <coughs> give thanks to the Lord God. Oh, 
Let's now join together in prayer. Let's call upon the Lord in prayer. O Lord, our gracious God, we thank you for the many truths contained in these words we have been singing. The promises you gave that have already been fulfilled, the promises that you have given that remain to be fulfilled in the experience of your people. But we thank you, O Lord, that those that remain to be fulfilled are as certain as those that have already been completed. For you are God and you are truth, and your word is truth. And every word you have spoken has proved to be reliable and always will. We thank you tonight, Lord, that this is our privilege, when on such a beautiful evening we could so easily be elsewhere where our hearts desire that way. But we thank you that our heart is here to worship you and to meet together to prepare for the remembrance of the Lord's death in the sacrament of the supper. We give thanks for that desire, O Lord, a desire that you have planted in our hearts, a desire that we have not created ourselves, and yet we recognize, Lord, the reality of it. We pray that as we follow that desire and seek to live by faith in following the ways of the Lord, that we would tonight know your presence with us, that we would know your blessing following your word as we read it and have it expounded, as we hear it, as we sing your praises and call upon you in prayer. O Lord, our God, we ask that you would manifest yourself to us. Show us, we pray, as you showed the disciples long ago, the reality of your suffering and now of your resurrection too. And we thank you that we address you tonight as we seek to remember you in your death tomorrow that we address you as the risen Lord, as the exalted Lord, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, who sits on the throne of heaven, and in whose hand is the scroll of the destiny of the world, the history of the world, everything that will ever take place uh, to the end of the age. We thank you, O Lord, that you are the one who is with your people. We need no less than you to be with us, and we have no less according to your promise and according to the experience of your people down through the ages. And Lord, we thank you for the promise of your presence with your people to the end of the world uh, so that whatever circumstances may arise in our personal experience, in our, uh, consequent, in our uh, circumstances and in the consequences of our own or others' actions, we do thank you, O Lord, that your word remains true that your promise is ensured to your people. And we give thanks that this is especially addressed to our life as your people in the world, uh, to our witness for you, to our testimony that you are God, that we are your people. We pray tonight as we gather in anticipation and preparation for the Lord's Supper, that you would help us as your word calls us to do, to examine ourselves in your presence, and to examine ourselves in such a way as would come desiringly and knowingly to partake of the elements of, of the bread and of the cup, uh, symbolizing and representing and sealing to your people the benefits of your death. Lord God, we ask that these may be made very real to us, not only in our preparation, but also by your will tomorrow as we seek uh, to take them to ourselves and to thereby find uh, that we once again remember the Lord's death until he come. We thank you for all who have come to your table previously, 
for those who have been there over many years. We thank you, Lord, for their continued testimony and walk with you. We ask that you would continue to keep them and bless them and help us, Lord, as a congregation to value the counsel of those who have gone ahead of us in the way of faith. And we pray that as we gather together tonight, we may recognize the value there is in being together and in learning from one another and looking out for each other on the way through life. We pray for those who wish to come for the first time. Uh, Lord, we ask that uh, they too will be encouraged and strengthened, and that as they take the step as they desire to do, Lord, help us, we pray, to be of benefit to them, to be that fellowship of a family that would indeed welcome those who want to progress their lives spiritually and grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We give thanks, too, for those who are joining us from other congregations. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for their interest, for their participation in the work of the congregation thus far. We ask that you'd bless them in their own hearts and in their families, and pray that even at this time they may have confirmed to them your own will and your own purpose for them. We pray for those who are coming for baptism. We ask that your blessing, Lord, will be with them and with all who have recently baptized their children in this congregation. Gracious Lord, make us thankful that we have young families who wish to follow in the ways of the Lord, who wish to bring up their children in the knowledge of the Lord, in the nurture of the Lord, in the discipline of the Lord. And we pray that they may, Lord, come and, and endure dependence upon your grace, that they may come themselves to grow and to flourish and to have their children established in your ways and rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that your blessing will be with all tonight who cannot be with us. Lord, we think especially of those who are ill. We know that there are various illnesses keeping people we know and love from being with us tonight. We pray especially for those who are seriously ill. We pray for those who have COVID. We pray for those who are recovering from illness, from surgery. We pray for those who cannot be here because they face and experience the difficulties and the challenges of old age and of, uh, of um, discomfort. Lord, we ask that you would be pleased to bless them, uh, bless them wherever they are, and give them, Lord, to know your presence and of your being with them and those who trust in you. And any who do not, Lord, bring them, we pray, to that position of faith and of trust uh, so that they come to know the living God and come to rejoice in his salvation. And we ask now that you would continue to bless us here. And as we turn to your word, once again, we pray for the light that comes from your Holy Spirit, opening up our minds, our understanding, and also renewing our will and giving us, O oh Lord, that inward appetite and hunger for your word and for your presence, and enable us as we do so to know, Lord, again of a thankful heart as we express our thanks to you. Receive us, then we pray, and cleanse us from all our sins. For Jesus' sake, amen. I'm going to read tonight from uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 22. We're going to be looking at some verses from uh, 1 Corinthians, actually looking at our warrants that we usually read when we come to uh, administer the Lord's Supper. 
Um, but we'll look at the, the way it's rooted, obviously, in the way in which Jesus uh, spoke on the night in which he was betrayed and spoke in such a way to the disciples as we find in these verses. So Luke chapter 22 and from verse 7, and we'll read down as far as verse 30. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where would you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Amen, and may the Lord once again bless to us our reading of his word. Let's turn again to praise him, this time from Psalm number 40. Psalm number 40 in the Scottish Psalter. That's on page 259. We'll sing verses 1 to 5. Six stanzas to the double verse 5. I waited for the Lord my God, and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay, and on a rock he set my feet, establishing my way. Verses 1 to 5, I waited for the Lord my God.
Now, will you turn with me this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll begin reading at verse 23. And this is the passage for a short time we'll look at this evening, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, we're here, as we know, to make preparation for coming to the communion table, uh, to take communion, to partake of the Lord's Supper. And uh, as I was going through these words and these verses, uh, it suddenly came to me that the three main elements that we find in our Christian walk, our Christian practice, faith, love, and hope, as it can actually be found in some of the terminology of these verses. And that we can therefore say that taking communion is itself an act of faith. It's also an act of love. It's also an act of hope. It is uh, uh, an act of faith if you focus on the words, this is my body. You come to the Lord's table And you take these words and you discern in these elements the Lord's body. What happened on the night in which he was betrayed. And then when you think of the word remember or remembrance, do this in remembrance of me, which is following what the Lord himself had said to the disciples, you can see that partaking of of the supper or taking communion is an act of love. Because in remembrance... You're reflecting upon what Christ did and how in his great act of love he gave himself to the death of the cross. And now in response, you at the Lord's Supper take these elements that represent his death and in return you love him as you take the bread and the cup. And then thirdly, it's also uh, taking communion is also an act of hope. Because, as it says here, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So you're looking forward in the exercise of hope, as well as of love and of faith. You look forward in the exercise of hope to the return of the Lord. You look forward to the time when the Lord's Supper will be replaced by the marriage banquet of the Lamb. And as you partake of the Lord's Supper, so that carries you forward in your thoughts in the exercise of your soul, along with faith and with love, hoping in a positive way, eagerly awaiting for the return of Jesus. So taking communion is an act of faith. He took this bread, and when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant In my blood, this is my body. This is the new covenant 
in my blood. And as you come to the Lord's Supper and partake of the Lord's Supper, you do so in the exercise of your faith. It's your faith that you exercise when you look at these elements, the, the bread and the cup, and you believe in what they represent. You believe, you trust in the Jesus. That's essentially a main aspect of what faith is, trusting in Christ. And in theological terms or logical terms and in the theology of, of, uh, of our salvation, um, faith comes before love, although they are, of course, joined together inseparably. You believe, you trust in the Lord Jesus. That's what joins you, believingly, savingly to Christ. And it's that that then ushers you into uh, a life and uh, a discipleship of love where you love him. And so faith, and, and actually the actions of the table, uh, I think are significant just to uh, briefly mention it. Uh, certainly it was always the case in, in our forefathers that they saw the actions of the table themselves to be significant. Because Jesus did say, take, eat. Take this cup, drink of it. There is a specific physical action on our part, taking the cup, taking the bread, which itself outwardly represents your taking of Jesus to yourself. Now, you've done that already before you've come to the Lord's Supper. You've come to Jesus, you've placed your trust in him, and placing your trust in him means you have taken him as your savior. And when you reach forward and take these elements in the Lord's Supper, you're again doing something representative, if you like. It is to you outwardly what you've done in your soul already. And here in your soul, again, you're reaching out, as it were, with the hands of faith and taking Jesus again to yourself in a way that confirms your relationship with him, that confirms him as your savior, in a way that says, Lord, I've already taken you spiritually by believing in you and my trusting in you, and I'm actually again confirming that as I take these elements in the Lord's Supper. You see these elements as themselves representing, and indeed uh, as a our catechism reminds us they're a sign and a seal. A seal being something that confirms the death of Christ. A sign and a seal of what we are in Christ. Uh, they don't convey themselves salvation, uh, but they do confirm the salvation that we have received by faith in Christ. They are a sign and a seal. And as you, as you think of trusting in the Lord, um, there is, of course, the element of obedience along with trusting. Because obedience is an essential element of faith. You cannot think of believing without also carrying in it the element of obedience. That's uh, something the Bible itself makes very clear. Think, for example, of Romans uh, chapter 6, that wonderful. A chapter that talks about our being uh, separated from sin as the dominant factor and power in our lives to be brought into union with Christ and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And remember in uh, that chapter, seven, verse 17 of Romans 6, um, you find Paul saying, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart 
to the standard of teaching to which you were committed or delivered, and having been freed from sin, you have become slaves or bondservants of righteousness. Now, these words there are, are important. I know we've mentioned them before. You, uh, by obedience, um, you were once slaves of sin, but you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were delivered. In other words, what God did in separating you off from the power of sin, the dominance of sin, that once characterized your life as a, an unsaved sinner, he didn't just release you or, or, or take you from uh, the attachment that sin had to you and you had to sin. He delivered you to something. He delivered you to this standard, this form of teaching that he has given us in the gospel or in his word. And so obedience to Christ is at the heart of that. You have the same um, in First Peter, the very beginning of that letter of First Peter, uh, again teaches us that uh, this is in fact what the purpose of God was in uh, sending Christ into the world and uh, coming to save God's own people. Um, he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, he mentions then those regions, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Better, I think, in the old translation, in that instance, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. He's brought you under the provision of the death of Christ, the sprinkling of his blood, that's what it signifies. And as he's brought you under the provisions of that, so that's God bringing us to obedience to this Christ. That's why Jesus came. That's the purpose of his death, to bring us to this point where we're savingly united to him by faith, the faith that involves trusting in him, the faith that involves obedience to him. And of course, we remember too that um, obedience is very much a part of coming to take communion. Um, the Lord doesn't actually present it to us as something that's just a bit of a take it or leave it thing. He doesn't say, well, there's, there's the Lord's Supper, there's, uh, there's the bread and there's the cup. Uh, take it if you like. Uh, if you think it's appropriate, then, then take it. No, he says, take it. It's a command of his. It's an imperative. He doesn't just bring us to uh, think of the Lord's Supper uh, as something that's there and then leave it to ourselves to think of whether it's a good thing or not. Um, it comes with the Lord's specific command. That's what Jesus said. Take the cup. Take this bread. Obey the voice of the Lord, the command of the Lord, in other words. Um, in the old days, um, certainly in Scotland as well, although it wasn't there that it began, but um, uh, the communion very often used to be called the action and the sermon on the day of communion, which invariably in those days would have been something to do with the atonement, with the death of Christ or the obedience of Christ himself, it was called the action sermon. The action sermon was a sermon about the action of Jesus in giving himself to the death of the cross. And you can see from that how obedience fits into that. 
just as Christ obeyed the Father's will in giving himself to the death of the cross, so in loving response and believing response and obedient response, we come to the Lord's Supper and we take the bread and the cup in response to his command to us. Of course, it's a loving command. It's not a command with anything other than his divine love behind it. But it is authoritative. It is the Lord's command. It's something that comes to us in conscience and says to us, look, this is what I have done for your salvation. What I require of you, what I command is that you do this for me, that you take this cup, that you take this bread. So there's the action of obedience. Taking communion is an act of faith. The faith that involves trusting and involves obedience to Christ. Secondly, taking communion is an act of love. And the focus, as we said, is on remembrance. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So in both the, for both the, the bread and also the cup, the remembrance is attached to both. In other words, the whole the whole um, of, of, of the supper itself and partaking of the supper is very much an act of love in remembrance of what Jesus has done. And as you come to remember what Jesus has done, your remembrance is one of thanksgiving along with love and faith and hope because the love of God's people is a love that is itself uh, accompanied by, or perhaps you might say even includes, the element of thanksgiving. It's impossible to think of loving the Lord without giving thanks to the Lord. You don't come to the Lord's Supper giving thanks without your love being involved. You don't, give, uh, you don't come to express your love by taking the communion without your thanksgiving being involved in that as well. Jesus gave thanks as he came to this point representing his own death. He took the bread, he gave thanks. We read something quite amazing in Luke chapter 22. It's what he said to the disciples with earnest desire I have desired to eat this with you before I suffer isn't that a remarkable thing because there is Jesus knowing full well what that bread and that cup represent as far as he's concerned that's the cross that's his own life being poured out in death for his people that's what they represent these elements and yet he comes to that occasion, he comes to that moment of instituting the Lord's Supper in the bread and in the cup in a way that expresses his earnest desire to do this. His heart is 100% set on the sufferings of the cross for the benefit of his people. That's love for you. Greater love has no man than this, as John put it, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for those that would come to be his friends, those that 
we would enjoy eternal life through faith and trust in him. And we come to give thanks. Our early fathers, um, in some uh, denominations, you'll still find the word used. It's a good word. Um, a word for the Lord's Supper, which is the Eucharist. It comes from a Greek verb meaning to give thanks. And when, you've, when you hear of the Lord's Supper called the Eucharist, you think about uh, the, the giving of thanks that Jesus himself uh, did before he uh, gave this uh, bread and this wine, this cup of wine to the disciples, uh, and also how we come to give thanks. You'll know yourselves, and it's a very significant point in the communion procedure, that when we come down as ministers to, to the table and just before we do anything else by way of giving out the elements, we give thanks. And we say that we follow the Lord's example in giving thanks. This is a Eucharistic occasion. This is a time to specifically give thanks for all that's set out before us represented in the Lord's Supper. What great privilege that is. To express your thanks not only by words from your mouth and by singing the praises of God, and by talking to one another about the wonders the Lord has done, what a privilege to give thanks by the very act of taking the communion. Taking it as an act of love in which your thankfulness is expressed. And as we come and anticipate coming to the Lord's Supper again, remember what he did. Remember his love Remember how he showed his love. Remember that he died for his people. And not only is it, uh, is it uh, a thankfulness that's expressed in taking the communion, um, there's also a proclaiming of Christ. Uh, because your love for Christ, your love that you express by taking the communion, by coming to the Lord's table, uh, in that love you actually want others to come and partake of it as well. You want to make this Jesus known to others. You want to proclaim what Jesus has done for you. And you do that in your witness. You do that in your testimony from day to day. You do that in your Christian life, in your Christian walk. But this word that Paul uses here, the word proclaim, is used specifically about the Lord's Supper and what happens when you take the communion. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it's a word that, the word proclaim literally means there what it says, what, how it is in our English version. You proclaim the Lord's death. In other words, the Lord's Supper makes an announcement. Or you might say, you're making an announcement through taking the Lord's Supper, and that announcement has to do with Jesus and his death. You proclaim the Lord's death. You come to the Lord's Supper and to yourself, you're proclaiming the death of Jesus. To those who are watching you at the Lord's Supper, you're proclaiming the death of Jesus. Um, we don't often perhaps give, uh, maybe not enough, um, emphasis to that. Uh, but taking communion on the part of the Lord's people is actually an evangelistic act of love. It makes its own declaration. This is the death of Jesus represented. This is the love of Christ as he gave himself for his people. I can't explain 
how exactly the Lord's Supper does that. But this is what God's Word is saying. And in the hands of God, in the hands of the Holy Spirit, that table, that communion, becomes a means of expressing to those who are partaking and especially to those who are watching. Just as the gospel message, the preached word of God, proclaims the death of Christ, so does the Lord's Supper. It's the same death, the same Calvary, the same person, the same Lord, but in a different manner. And the Lord's Supper is precious to you for that reason too, that in it you find a proclamation of the death of Christ, the one you love. Taking communion is an act of faith. Taking communion is an act of love. But taking communion, thirdly, is an act of hope. Do this. You remember, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The focus is on the return of Jesus. Somebody has said in the Lord's Supper that we're looking different ways. We're looking backwards to something that happened at Calvary where the death of Jesus actually took place. We're looking upwards to God, the Father especially, and to Jesus as he now is, because this is what God himself has arranged and purposed and done for us. And not only are we looking backwards and looking upwards, we're looking sideways or around us. Because the Lord's Supper is God's people unitedly remembering the death of the Lord. You remember, uh, you take with you in the remembrance your fellow Christians, your fellow believers. You're looking around, even though you have your own particular individual relationship to Jesus, you remember what, the Lord, what, what um, Paul actually said to the Corinthians, and you find it elsewhere in the Bible, when you come together, when you come together, when you come as a people united in Christ, you look to those with you in celebrating the Lord's Supper, in remembering the Lord's death, you look around you. You also look inwardly. You examine yourself before you come. You look backwards, you look upwards, you look around you, you look inwards. That's what we require to do. Let a man examine himself, let a person examine himself, verse 28, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The examination, you see, is not intended to conclude in not coming to the Lord's Supper. The emphasis there is uh, in examining him, yourself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Of course, that doesn't mean that the examining is done casually. It doesn't mean that if we find something there that uh, the Bible obviously shows us is a, a grievous sin against the Lord, that is something that we should have dealt with and haven't repented of, then that is, that's a different matter. But the examination is with a view to coming to the table. You look inwardly as well as around you, and upward, and also backward. And finally, you look forward. It's until he comes. You look for the return of the, of, of the Lord. And so, it is an act of hope, partaking of the Lord's Supper. 
Uh, you remember those great words in the Song of Solomon, uh, saying they're directly applicable to um, the Lord's Supper itself as such, but certainly the older theologians used to take um, these verses as the descriptive of our personal relationship with God and Christ or with, with Jesus himself uh, as our Savior. And in chapter 2 especially, uh, you find these words in the Song of Solomon, beautiful, beautiful words, um, where love is expressed between the beloved, the bride, and, and her beloved. And uh, where you find in chapter 2, they're uh, saying, it's the voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills, and so on. He, he says, he, behold, uh, she says, he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away, for behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come. And you can, you can really see in those the principles of a saving relationship to Christ. Because here is God saying, as it were, the Lord's Supper, just like the preaching of the word while we're in this world, in this life, it's a bit like that lattice work, like that lattice that covered the windows in those days. And here, was, uh, here, here she was recognizing the outline, the shape of her beloved as he, as he approached the window and looked into where she was. Her heart got excited. She recognized him. She couldn't make out every detail about him, but she knew that was him. And so in the Lord's Supper, you recognize Jesus. You discern Christ. You actually have him set out representatively, but for you he is there. Spiritually there, spiritually to your face. And you're conscious that you can't yet see all of him, that you can't see everything that you'd like about him, but you're thankful for the way that the supper as well as the word is the lattice through which you see him the means that God has given us, that we might see Jesus in that. But of course, he's calling us to go forwards from that, go forwards in the sense of looking to the future, looking to his return, as he says there in reply to his beloved, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away, for behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, and so on. He's really taking our mind away from the present and on into the future. And that's how it is for the Lord's Supper as well for God's people. How thankful to be there. What a wonderful privilege to benefit from what's there here and now. But it's until he comes. And when he comes, there'll be something even better than the Lord's Supper. There'll be the marriage banquet supper of the Lamb. The reception of the marriage of Christ and his people. The things of this world, of, of time, will be no more. We will be taken above that and beyond that. And so, as you see his beauty through the lattice of the Lord's Supper, doesn't that just stimulate your heart towards the greater sight of his beauty when he comes? As John puts it, now then we are the children or the sons of God. He's no doubt about that in 1 John chapter 3. 
What love the Father has bestowed that we should be called the children of God, the sons of God. Now this is what we are, he says. But it has not yet been made clear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And if it's thrilling as it should be for us to see him through the lattice of the Lord's Supper, what a thrill it's going to be when you see him as he is. What a moment that's going to be when he returns. He's not going to return with the modest clothes of his humiliation. He's not going to return unrecognized by many in this world. He's going to return in his splendor, in the greatness of his might and power, in the magnificence of his kingship, in the beauty of his being Lord. And that's what the supper is preparing us for. It's giving us a glimpse into what is yet to be Though we're thankful for what now is. And of course, when he comes, we shall then be with him. We shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. And we shall be with him forevermore. And that's again what the Lord's Supper does. It feeds your hope. Because your hope is a positive hope that leans and stretches forward to the return of Christ. As Jesus Himself put it in that great prayer recorded in John chapter 17. Father, I will that those whom you have given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory. You see the glory of Jesus through the Lord's Supper in a measure. You appreciate something of it through that lattice. But oh, what a day it will be when we sit down with our King and celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb to see the King in his beauty and to be with him forevermore, an everlasting banquet for which the Lord's Supper prepares your heart and hope. Taking communion is an act of faith. It's also an act of love. It's also an act of hope. And when we come, God willing, tomorrow to the Lord's Supper and to partake of the Supper, may it be for you and for me a strengthening of our faith, a deepening of our love, an expansion and confirming of our hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that this supper represents by your own divine appointment. We thank you for the blessings that your people have received from this supper down through the centuries. And we pray, O Lord, as we anticipate once again and to sit at the Lord's table and partake of the communion. O Lord, help us, we pray, to express to you our need of uh, being taken by yourself and know your Holy Spirit enlarging our love 
strengthening our faith and confirming our hope. We pray that your word and the sacrament itself will be blessed to us to that end. Continue, Lord, we pray, to encourage those who seek to come for the first time. May they, Lord, find that it's not the extent of their faith, the measure of their love, or the quality of their hope that forms the basis on which they come to remember the Lord's death, but that they trust in you and believe what you have done and appreciate in love all of that for themselves. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's conclude this evening our worship in Psalm 116. Psalm 116 on page 154. And we're singing verses 1 to 9, the first four stanzas. I love the Lord because he heard my voice. He listened when I cried to him for aid. I'll call on him as long as I shall live because he turned to hear me when I prayed. Verses 1 to 9 to God's praise.
may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen.